Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. The Reclamation Podcast is brought to you by the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. For more information on Spirit and Truth, check out their ministry page at spiritandtruth.life. Hey everybody, if we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and this is episode 108 of the podcast. I get to sit down with author and grief expert Mark Neagley. Mark and I talk about ways to experience grief, about how to appreciate where you are, and talks a, a, a great deal about the voice of God, and how to kind of live in the tension of grief and faith and promise. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. He gives some really practical advice to anyone who's suffering from grief. And based off of his research, there are 300 million of us that are impacted by a loss. If you do enjoy this episode, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, share this episode with a friend, maybe a grieving friend, and leave a rating or review on iTunes. It does go a long way to help find help people find the podcast whenever they're looking for whatever um, the topic may be. So your rating or review really does make a difference. Now, if you want to learn more about what Mark said, if you want to find out some more details, we have full show notes at reclamationpodcast.com. Reclamationpodcast.com. All of the show notes are listed there, plus links, anything that we talk about in the episode are all listed on that website. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Mark. Thankful for all you guys. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with uh, author, speaker, and and CEO, right? Uh, Mark Negley. Mark, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Tony. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, how, how does someone become a grief expert? Because as, as I was looking at a lot of your writing, uh, I think that that's not, I don't think that's a title many people want to get. How, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to this place where you uh, really have dove headfirst into the topic of grief? Well, it, there's a couple of different ways I think that happens, right? Uh, number one uh, is the traditional route where people go to school, become psychologists, psychiatrists, and and so forth. I think uh, those in seminary who have become pastors, chaplains, and so forth, grief counseling and supporting others is a, an inherent part of that of that role. A tough part of it, but an inherent part of it. The third way is that you go through it yourself and you have a passion that, you know, God inspires in you. And, and that was my path. And as I say in the, the book I've written on this, and as we talk about this quite frequently, I'm not a rabbi, uh, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a self-proclaimed religious healer or teacher, I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist or doctor. I'm a guy who's been through the gauntlet of life and has learned a great deal about that. And God gave me a little gift that he asked me to share with people that I'm happy to share with you in this discussion. Yeah. I, I, the, the resource that you've come out with, uh, survive alive, thrive is all about this revolutionary model for, for understanding, um, recovery from grief. Right. And, and it's, it's told through this very personal and intimate uh, idea of, of your gauntlet. I, can you kind of take us through what you experienced? Sure. And, and I would want to say to start with that um, as, as we jump into some of the tough stuff that I've been through, that is uh, the foundation of what led me down this path is that today I am a joy-filled, happy guy, right? I am more blessed than, than I certainly um, deserve to be. I'm happily married and, and, um, uh, and, and living a life that every day I, I thank God for being here. And that, that's a bit of a contradiction and hard for some, some folks, and in fact, for me to appreciate from time to time, considering that gauntlet that you've talked about. Yeah, and I, I think it's also important too, and uh, you kind of allude to this is like it's not about comparison, right? So like you, you're going to share part of your story. It, it, it's there's nuances to it, right? And but but the grief that you're experiencing is your grief, and it's real, and and we don't want to get into the habit of comparing pain. So well, you know, I, and I think that you you kind of talk about that as a way to get to joy is as understanding kind of who you are and what that means and looks like. So if you're listening and you're experiencing grief. I think Mark and I both agree that we just want to validate that grief 
and 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 uh, listen for the 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 nuances on how to survive and and stay alive and then thrive. Yeah, I mean that's well said. I mean, I, I can I can tell you as I'm going to share. You know, grief is real, and it mm-hmm. is in many cases overwhelming and heartbreaking, and and it, it completely turns your life upside down. And and there's not just one way. It's not because you lost somebody that you love that that's the definition of grief. People are hurting through divorce through financial catastrophe, losing businesses, struggling with mental health mm. issues, right? you know, in this, uh, this era of COVID, I mean, gosh, how many people are struggling with isolation and not being able to connect and have community with those that they love, you know, that there's, and, and of course, um, being diagnosed with a serious illness and, and, um, other challenges are just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, WebMD did a survey in 2019 and found that 71% of Americans responded that they had been impacted by a loss of that in their life that they were still struggling with over the previous three years. Oh, wow. So if you take 71% times 300 million Americans, that's 200 million of us just in America. So you know, we have this sense that we're, and that's pre COVID, right? Like that's not even counting what, it, what we've all been through the trauma that we've all been through the last year. Oh, that is, that, that's a, a great point. And, you know, ultimately we tend to, when we're stuck in these situations, many of us will isolate or kind of circle the wagons, if you will. Mm. And uh, it, ultimately you are not alone in this journey. Not only are there a couple of other people that are that, that can relate to what you're experiencing, but there's tens, hundreds of millions of us, and that's just in this United States. So, you know, I want to encourage you if you're going through this to, um, you know, uh, listen a little bit to what we're talking about here today and, you know, embrace the fact that this is a tough experience and it's true and it's valid, but, you know, we have hope that you can navigate your way through this and find yourself living a happy and then joy-filled life. And I'm, and if, as you'll, you'll hear my story, if I can do it, I promise you that you can do it. And and this is actually a great place to, to mention your podcasts uh, because your podcast is really focusing on that joy-filled life, right? Like you, you, what's the name of it? So that I, I know my listeners are going to want to subscribe to it. What's the name of the podcast? Well, it's Survive Alive Thrive, which is the name of my book and the nonprofit entity. So it's Survive Alive Thrive, and it's navigating the journey from loss to a joy-filled life. And on it, you know, I'm privileged to interview folks who have gone through really tough stuff, who share their stories, many people who are well-known of their loss and brokenness. And it, it can be from uh, the loss of uh, of, of a child, a spouse, a parent, or a dear friend or sibling. It can be fighting drug addiction and alcoholism and finding their way through that, um, through that challenge. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's a great reminder that when God is at the center of, of, of our journey, mm-hmm. that there is the potential to find joy and happiness again. And we hope yeah. to walk you through those examples. No, I, I love that. And I love that because you're coming from such an authentic place. So let's kind of jump into your story. Where Where is the best place to jump in so that we can appreciate where you've been and and have a deeper understanding about where you are now? Because I think it's the journey that we're going to get a lot of growth out of. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to um, tell my story. I, I think I'm going to start... Um, in 2015, um, I was uh, passing a kidney stone, which sadly I've gone through. And for those of you who have been through this, that is no fun. Multiple fun. times. It's the worst in the world. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, this too will pass is true. But while you're in it, oh, my gosh, it is it is it is tough. So I was going through this and it was a 12th one or so that I had passed. And um, the urologist said, you know, look, I, there's some chems here that I don't like and brought me back in. Um, said, the more we look at this, I'm concerned. I want to do a comprehensive biopsy. 
Um, they did a 12.5 C on my prostate, um, sent it out through Johns Hopkins, called me back three days later and said, I needed to come in to talk to the doctor mm. and the prophetic words. And you have to bring your wife. Oh, well, geez. I'm just telling you, that's usually not good news. So we go in and he looks me in the eye and says, look, I, I don't know. There's no easy way to say this, but that you have a pretty significant advanced case of prostate cancer and we're going to need to take some steps to make sure it either hasn't already or it will not metastasize to other organs. Hmm. Well, that's not news that is easy to, to take. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways when the doctor's looking you eye to eye and says the word cancer that transcends this idea that I, I understand what cancer is and I've heard other people, but you're talking about me. And as, as he went on and said, I don't think this will kill you. I think that we're going to, and I'm thinking, kill me. I, I mean, it, I was running five yeah, miles. Three, I, I didn't even know that was on the table. <laughs> I, I'm running five miles, three days a week. I'm in, in, in excellent shape, you know, I mean, I'm feeling like, what are you talking about? Who's talking mm. about killing me? And, and, of course, my wife digs right into the um, into the literature, and he's recommending either a radical surgery, um, a, a chemotherapy, or these radiation seed you know implants as various options. And he gives us a week to review the options and get back to him. So, you know, I walk out of there a little shell shocked, right? And yeah. go through the experience. And we agree, this was on a Thursday, that a week later on a Friday, uh, we're going to have a discussion about which of these three options that he's recommending is is the, uh, is the best solution. So, um, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I circle the wagons. I, I tell my sister, who's a physician, and her husband, who's also a doctor, and my brother, and maybe three or four of my closest friends. And sure. I instruct my wife, Victoria, do not tell anybody about this, right? Which she looked at me like, well, don't we want a big, you know, prayer chain to get started? I'm like, this is private. This is my information. And I've learned later that that's a fairly common reaction, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it, in my experience, uh, in retrospect, the right decision, but it was just kind of a, a circle the wagon sort of a feeling. Well, about three or four days later, a friend of mine calls and says, listen, my wife, Sarah, who had uh, told about this, he was one of my dear close circle of friends. Um, Sarah had been on a prayer walk and she had something to tell me. I said, "Oh wow, okay. So he puts her on speaker on his car phone and she says, Mark, I've been on a prayer walk and God has told me you will be healed. Come on. So I'm, I'm saying, okay, well, that's great. Um, I'm here for that. Right. Did he, did he say <laughs> how or when or, and she's like, no, I just, I had this distinct message as I was praying for you. He says, Mark will be healed. He just, and I just wanted you to know that I wanted to encourage you. And I was like, great, you know, thanks. I, what do you do with that information? So I go home and tell my wife. And Victoria's like, how? Of course, she's very, you know, <laughs> let's, let's very concrete about this. And ultimately, uh, we get Sarah back on the phone because Victoria's got questions. She's like, well, did God say chemo or seeds or surgery. And, and Sarah was kind of laughing, you know, no, he just said Mark would be healed. And after a 15, 20 minute discussion and thanking them because they're dear friends, um, we hang up and Victoria looks at me and she goes, radiation seeds are the way to go. I know somebody who did it. We're all good. That's great. And walks away. And I thought, wow, you know, I mean, this is overwhelming stuff to to try to process, right? So ultimately, it's Thursday now, the night um, before Friday's phone call with the doctor. And um, Friday morning, I have a board meeting. So we have set a call at two o'clock. 
um, uh, to have the call. And we go to sleep and at four in the morning, I'm restless mm-hmm. and I'm kind of restless and I'm in that a little bit awake stage and kind of look, you know, lying down, but looking around the room, wondering, you know, what am I going to do? And so here's one of these um, unusual moments, the most unusual moment, arguably, yeah. in my life. And that is a audible voice, what I consider to be the voice of God, Holy Spirit, not sure how to define it, says to me, you will be healed and then I will reveal your commission. Wow. So, you know, I'd like to think I'm not a kook. So I I sit up in bed and I'm running through my mind like, whoa, the pressure is getting to me. The, maybe that was like a residual component of my dream. Yeah. Um, and I swing my feet around and put them on the floor. I'm kind of sitting on the side of the bed, right? I take a sip of water from the glass on the nighttime table next to our bed. And again, the voice says very clearly, almost like a field of dreams, sort of ethereal type of voice, you will be healed and then I will reveal your commission. Wow. So I stand up and what do I do? I go to the alarm panel on the master bed because I'm like, are the doors open? Has somebody opened the window? It's May of 2015. And of course, everything's locked up tight. It's four in the morning. There's not a sound in the neighborhood or anywhere. We're in suburban Connecticut um, at the end of a long driveway. I mean, this is, I mean, I throw water on my face, pace, grab my journal, write you know, furiously go into the office, my home office. And, you know, I, I, I pray, I, I pace, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's five 30. Sure. I've got to get up at seven for a board meeting. I, I go back to bed seven o'clock. The alarm goes off. I get up, take my shower, put on my little suit, getting ready to go to work. And suddenly I have this overwhelming desire to read the book of acts Mm. now do you remember close encounters of the third kind when richard dreyfus is like overwhelmed with this desire to go to the mountain he's making mashed potato you know things in his in his life so it it wasn't quite as kooky as that but it was (laughs) you know i i need to read the book of acts so i text my ceo and say um something's come up, I might be late. Now I was running the revenue side of this business and I was first up presenting the revenue to the board. So here it is seven 30 and I'm texting him. I'm going to be a little late. And of course it took 1.4 seconds for him to respond to my text. Like, what are you talking about? You're on first. I said, well, can you rearrange it? He goes, is everything okay? And I said, something's come up. You know, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I, I uh, hadn't even told him that I'd been diagnosed with cancer. So um, I start reading the book of Acts. And as many of our listeners know, it's, it's a long book, right? The journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's not short. It's not, a, it's not a, like, it's not a one, you know, not usually a one-stop like reading adventure here. And not only that, I'm not given any direction as, as far as I can tell of which chapter. I just sit down at Bible gateway Chapter one, three, seven, I look at my watch. It's like 8.15. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm reading it because I'm like, God has spoken to me. That doesn't happen every day. Sure. Um, I, I, I've got to keep doing this. And 8.30, I'm on chapter 15. It's getting closer to nine. I'm at 18. I text him. I'm trying 9.30 or 10 o'clock, you know, and I'm getting question mark back on my text like, Really? So I get to chapter 20, and this is when Paul is returning to Jerusalem, um, and he'll inevitably be arrested. But his his church plant friends um, and partners in modern-day Turkey trying to talk him out of going back. And they're like, no, they're plotting. They're waiting for you. And chapter 20, verse 23, he says, 
Although I know that hardship and even prison await me, my life means nothing to me. The only thing that matters is to finish the race. And that race mm. testified to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And I, it's kind of like, okay, hold on a minute. This is the point. And I read it again. I read it again. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I think I, I get it that my commission will be to testify to the grace of God through Christ. I, I, I got it. So I get down on my knees, you know, again, in my own little home office. And I'm thinking, wouldn't this be great if it was a Charlton Heston moment, right? Right, right. <laughs> Shouldn't I say something like, thou art blessed me with, uh, but, you know, I mean, that's not how I pray or, or I'm yeah. just, so God, or is, is this like the deal? This is, you're saying, are we doing this? You're, you're going to heal me. And, and then I testify to your grace. And, and it was kind of like a little ethereal pat in the head that said, okay, you got to get to work. Go now, now, wait, well, how would you describe your faith prior to this moment? Were you, um, w- were you actively following Jesus? Were you like, cause, cause I think a lot of people identify as Christian, but aren't, don't really have like the most in-depth faith, faith life. Where were you on the the scale of connection to Christ prior to this, you know, uh, pat on the head. Sure. Well, that's a great question. So I was raised as a, as a kid in Episcopalian in the suburbs of Chicago and walked away from any form of religion when I was about 13. And, you know, I felt that, um, religion, it it had all kinds of problems that I couldn't wrap my arms around. Sure. Uh, it took me until a pretty, but um, uh, amazing event happened in my early 40s in 1999 when a neighbor um, brought me into a discussion about the difference between religion and a relationship with God, a mm. friendship with God. And um, I, in, in my book, Survival Live Thrive, there's a chapter that is says, wait, what? God is my friend, right? Th- this was yeah. this was a revolutionary thinking for me. It's like, no, I understand what religion is. And my friend Steve was able to guide me in that direction. Now, to be fair, I was successful in the world, had some, achieved some success um, in the sales and the media, you know, related business. But when Steve and I had this conversation, he said, are you happy? Hmm. And my desire was to say, in fact, I did say, yes, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really, I'm incredibly happy. And sure. you know, the fact is I wasn't, and I knew it. And I was trying to overcompensate for that. There was a hole that money and toys and, and trips and vacations and house, none of this was making me what I would call happy. Right. Um, and my wife and I spoke about that, and she said, I don't know if we are happy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we want from life? Our son was three years old, and that led me down this journey to reassess and understand, you know, God and the the writings of C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. The, the book is so- Oh, that's a great book, yeah. You know, profoundly simple, right? But God's grace- is so different than any other worldview that's out there. A God who has suffered like we have and loves us unconditionally, no matter what, which is a really important foundational piece for grief, by the way, right? If you've gone through tough stuff, Uh, so is he. So you kind of get to this place where God's giving you the pat on the head, right? And you've, you've, uh, you've grown in your faith over the last several years. You're, um, and, and so do you go to the meeting? Well, um, I go to the meeting. I go to the, 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 the meeting at work and things go fine. And at two o'clock, I get the phone call from the doctor and he's saying, um, how are you doing? You know, I know it's been a tough week and have you made a decision? And I said, and his words were, so what are we doing? And, you know, it was kind of an interesting word choice. And I said, well, I, I don't think I'm going to do anything. There's a little bit of a pause on the phone. And he's like, okay, um, 
probably thinking to himself, poor word choice. He goes, I don't mean today. I just mean, have you decided on the, uh, the three options that I've spelled out? And I said, yeah, no, I understood what you meant. I, I don't, I'm, I'm thinking healing. Mm. Now there's a little longer pause and he might've said just what you did. Hmm. Hmm. And he comes back and he's like, okay, so like homeopathic or naturopathic, or are you thinking like some European? And I'm, I'm like getting boxed into a corner. I have, to, I, I can't think of an excuse or a way to say this. So, so I, I love said, the awkwardness of this conversation. By the I'm way. like, uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking God. Now there's a long pause on the mm. other side and you know, the doctor's a good guy, but you know, he's, he right, comes the doctor. Back, he's like, Mark, listen, I know this has been a stressful week. This is a serious decision. Why don't you come in and bring Victoria on Monday and we'll have a more serious conversation about it. So we go in and of course I get home and have to walk through this with my wife who is um, skeptical, I would say at the very least, but on the other hand, um, believes and trusts God and you know, wants, you know, me to be faithful to my convictions and to my relationship with God. So we have this, um, this decision to make, and we decide we're going to stick to what I believe is the truth, which was to allow God to heal me. So seven months later, it's November, and wow. the organization uh, the hospital organization and practice calls and says, I have to come in. I've refused treatment. And, um, you know, we've been taking blood tests and so forth to monitor, to monitor various things. And uh, they say, I have to sign a waiver releasing them from responsibility um, because they've recommended that I do this and that. So, you know, and, and I'm refusing it. So I go in, I agree to sign it. And Victoria goes with me and she's a wreck. And as we get there, um, I'm like, look, what other choice do I have? He says, well, what we could do is do a second biopsy comprehensive 12 point. And then we can also see if there's any evidence of metastasization, if it's moved to other organs. Um, so I agree. And it's not a fun procedure. I, I just got to tell you, but yeah, you know, but, but at the end of the day and frequently it's recommended, you shouldn't do two biopsies in a year because it can actually um, initiate metastasization, the more, um, you probe. So anyway, I agree to it. Three days later, he calls and he asked to get my wife on the line again, which had me a little bit curious. Yeah. And he says, okay, I just want to hear from both of you. Have you been seeing another doctor? And I said, no. He said treatments. I said, no. And he's like, well, look, he goes, this is the darndest thing. I can't explain this, but there is no cancer present. Won't he do it? A, met my wife cries. I'm like, yes. He goes, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I go, I can't explain it. God promised me this. I told you this. Right. Then. And he's like, well, I think we need to do some more tests. And I'm like, no, we don't. You know, <laughs> no, I'm good, man. Me, I'm, brother. I'm, I'm, set, I'm all, all set here. <laughs> Totally right. So ultimately, uh, that was the story. And I'm on the way. I was involved after my um, uh, coming to know Jesus personally in uh, 1999, got very involved in men's, felt, in, in men's ministry and talking to men in the marketplace, not necessarily Bible study, but more along the lines of what difference does a relationship with God make and was very yeah, involved yeah. in an organization called New Canaan Society. I lived in New Canaan, Connecticut and um, involved in leadership there in the early stages of the organization. And today it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, large national organization that serves men in the marketplace. But, you know, this was a passion of mine and I was going to a regional retreat and the owner, or pardon me, the founder of that organization um, is a, a dear friend of mine. And, and he and I talked about what I'd just been through. And he said, you've got to tell your testimony. So I went up before the keynote and shared my testimony about cancer and invited other men who were at the event, a couple hundred people there to um, 
share their experience if they've been keeping this to themselves. And after a few awkward moments, a guy stood up and then another 12 people stood up sharing their experiences, what they were currently um, being diagnosed with and kept to themselves or a family member or, a, you know, it was really amazing. And I thought, this is it, man. I'm living, I'm living my commission. I've been healed of cancer. Right, yeah. How great is this? This is, this is the most wonderful deal ever. I'm so glad I made that, that agreement with God back in my office. <laughs> but you know what? That, that was not what my journey was going to be about. So mm. there's, there's another chapter. How, how did you, um, how did you live in that, that moment from, okay, trusting God with the promise of your healing to actually being healed. Because I think there are a lot of people who are listening right now who are, who are in that period of trust, surrender, and wait, right? And, and, and I would say that as, you know, being the successful uh, business owner that you are and, and, you know, successful in the marketplace, like, I think you probably have a lot of the same tendencies that I do, which is I want to be in control, right? To talk to me about that space in the middle. Well, it, in in that context, it, I had surrendered my life and trust, and and I have, you know, like a lot of men and and um, and and women, particularly Type A folks, like like to build things or or be, I have control related issues. Right? Yeah, so, amen. Right here, I mean, you're talking to them. Like I, I'm all for that. So you know, I mean, it, so it's a great question. But, it, you know, to me, my worldview had, had my, my faith had driven me to understand that God's in charge and he's got everything. And in the end, um, I trust him. Hmm. So, it, you know, surprisingly, it was not very anxious, right? I mean, I, 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 I frankly rarely thought about it. Right. And until or unless we had one of our biweekly or then, you know, monthly meetings with the urologist, it was like, oh, yeah, that's coming up next week. Hmm, I wonder how I'm doing. But, you know, I mean, I, I was busy. I continued to, you know, stay physically active and exercise. I, and I felt fine. Right. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was sick or losing energy, but um, I was aware of it deep back and, and probably prayed more about asking for uh, trust and peace, right? That Philippians talks about in Philippians um, chapter four, uh, verse six, he talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding when you ask him with, and with a thanks filled heart um, uh, to help you through things that you're struggling with. And, you know, I, I think I may have been, Either I was in denial or I was in um, a uh, living the blessing of the peace of God. Of the peace, you know, right. Yeah. You know, helping me through it. But, it, you know, obviously that kind of unraveled when I got the call about writing the, um, the signing the release form. So, did so. Uh, so it obviously changed your relationship with God. Did it, did it change the relationship with anybody else in your life? Yes. It, it I mean, ultimately, I think my wife and I were aware of the this sort of diagnosis. What, what I've, you know, I've been interviewing for the last um, five years now. People who have gone through experiences like this and the the rest of the story that I'm going to share with you. And I find that there is a blessing that happens interpersonally, or that can happen interpersonally, mm. where people recognize their mortality and the gift that we have of life here together. And you tend to, there, there's a great song by Tim McGraw, which is live like you were dying. Oh yeah. I know it well. Yeah. Love that song. And so what did you do? And his lyrics are, I went skydiving, went Rocky mountain hiking, did 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu or something like that. But you know, it, he lived his life and, and we found, um, a, a lot of, of blessings in that time frame, but again, I mean, honestly, it, we didn't dwell on it. We were focused on life and trust, and aware that sooner or later we'll find out what his plan was. So it, it was revealed to me that um, I could trust him. It turned out that 
he chose his will was to heal my cancer, which is not was not necessarily a sure thing. It was not necessarily you know what's going to happen to anybody else who goes through that experience. But he had a reason for doing that, and I wasn't sure what it was. Although, as I'm talking to people and uh, about my experience and seeing folks um, find encouragement through that, I really thought that was the primary. Um, the primary story, mm. but it wasn't. Um, six months later, um, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, in 2010, I was in a management meeting at a, at a different company, and um, I got a phone call and uh, ignored it a few times. The third time it called from a, a number I didn't recognize um, within, like, literally, 60 seconds, I, I finally answered it. And it was a paramedic who told me he was in the ambulance with my wife on the mm. way to the hospital. She'd been on a heart high speed car accident and they thought she was going to make it through, but I needed to get to the hospital. Wow. Now that is also a call that you don't prepare yourself for, whether it's a kid sure. or a sibling or parent and your, certainly your spouse. So I rushed to the hospital and Victoria made it through. Um, but she had significant neurological damage to her neck and head. Um, she yeah, I bet she'd been in an accident with a, uh, a landscape truck, one of these big trucks that have a cage in the back that um, carry lawnmowers and that sort of stuff. And um, it was serious. Our our SUV Land Rover was was smashed in ways that I could not imagine. Um, but it, she made it through, and the trauma that she suffered had left her with some debilitating pain and symptoms that um, we couldn't figure out, no matter how many neurologists and, and internists and so forth that we met. And it was really frustrating for her. And folks who have lived with this pain or chronic pain understand some of this journey. And it over time spiraled into a depression. And in 2012, that depression went from um, a minor struggle to a, a, a break, a delusional break. Mm. And um, she was struggling with paranoid um, uh, delusional thinking. Um, we got her into um, a, a care with a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, and, and a very a terrific Christian caring group. And over the next couple of years, experimenting with medication, we were able to get her back a good 80% of, of where she was. So she didn't feel like a zombie, but she was able to also not be struggling with, with these issues. And the neurological stuff was still present. Mm. So you know, it, it, it was a super hard time. And people who have been through this, it, it, I just want to express my compassion, having been through this myself. When you have a, a person in your family who struggles with mental illness, mental health issues, depression, et, et cetera, it's not as heartbreaking it is for that person. It's not just them. This is a family thing. You know, your, your, your spouse, your parents, your kids, your, I mean, your friends, it is heartbreaking and difficult, you know, and, and of course our hearts are in it for those who are struggling, but boy, it, it's tough, right? Our, yeah. our son was, you know, 16 when she was in the car accident and, you know, he watched his mom go from this incredibly, you know, bright, talented, um, uh, uh, vivacious um uh, manager of, of his and our lives um, to struggling every day with the pain and, and emotional um, challenges that went with her condition. And it is heartbreaking, you know, for, for everybody involved. But the good news is that the medication worked. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I would also say for people who've been through this, it's not like take the blue pill or the red pill and see which one that works, right? It really is much more of an art, isn't it? And it's it's and it's experiment. It's trial and error because somebody yeah. who might be diagnosed with one um, form of mental illness um, may 
uh, respond to some combination of, of pills where another person with the exact same diagnosis doesn't. So you're really experimenting with multiple um, solutions and, and our body chemistries and, you know, it's tough, but we found an answer, thankfully. And um, now we get through my cancer experience and we're thinking this is great. Our son who has um, dyslexia and significant learning disabilities um, but who's a really smart young man is going to a, uh, a high school that specializes in teaching kids with these challenges. And he was doing well, had actually scholarship offers to run cross country in college. Oh, that's and it was just a wonderful accomplishment. Scheduled a big party with about 30 people, um, family members and close friends to have a manhood tribute to Anderson celebrating and toasting him on his way to college. And uh, a little more than a month before then, Victoria decides that she wants to lose the weight that the medication is causing mm. and decides that she's going to go off medication. Wow. Well, now you're no longer under doctor's control as she was when she had her break um, because it had been several years. So she's making her own decisions. And again, in the mental health arena, another very common thing people go through is that the person who's struggling with it takes medication, feels better, and then it's feels better and says, I don't need it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go back down and then they take it again and then they feel better and they, well, I don't need it anymore. But in this case, it's it's completely fair to understand that the medications do typically put weight on the the user. And um, so she decided that was it. I mean, obviously I was deeply concerned about that, but um, I was, my job was to support and, and love her and try to be a sounding board. And as the next five weeks um, went down, she started to spiral again. And by the mm -hmm. time we got to his weekend, he was, uh, she was struggling and what was clearly like dark eyes again. And, and um, uh, we got back from that weekend, that um, big celebration and um, spent the Monday planning Anderson's um, my son's name is Anderson planning yeah. his, uh, the college choice, which of the scholarship offers he was going to take. And uh, the next day um, went for uh, a run. Anderson went for a training run. Then I went to hit some golf balls. And on the way back home, I sensed something was wrong. Anderson didn't think his mom was home. Um, and the, the long and short of it is, as I pulled into our home, um, that evening around five o'clock, I pulled into the garage to found out to find that she had taken her life. I'm and so sorry, she was uh, in the garage, um, had um, hung herself um, with a ski rope, and and it was a traumatic and horrible, horrible situation. Um, my son heard me yell in the. Uh, in, in the garage came running through the door and found me trying to get his mom's body down. And yeah. I, I mean, just stuff that you can't imagine by the, by the time the uh, we called 911, by the time the paramedics and police showed up, they moved me away and I was crawling on my hands and knees, like a wounded animal on the floor. And wow. I mean, literally in shock and in, you know, uh, agony, right? Uh, emotional brokenness. And uh, a policeman showed mercy and, you know, took my arm and lifted me up and walked me into the home. And then it, then it started, right? Yeah. Now what? And that time frame, what I call the survive stage of loss, is wrought with unimaginable challenges, both emotionally and, and strategically. Right. So, yeah, you know, fast forward to um, 10 days later, I had spent the next week walking 
the park about three or four in the morning. I, 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 could, I just couldn't sleep. You know, images would pop in sure. my head. My sister and brother had come from Nashville. I was in Connecticut at the time and stayed with me for, for you know, uh, two weeks. Um, heroic support moves by them for which I will always be grateful and in debt and Amen. Yeah. fortunate to have close relationships with my siblings. But this was uh, um, amazing friends and the community, you know, rallied around, but it's, it's overwhelming. And I just needed to go to the park alone and talk to God and, sure. and um, ask for answers and pray and, and, and cry. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was a really dark time, but through it, although the park was completely vacant at three thirty in the morning in Connecticut in May, um, I wasn't alone, right? Yeah. I kept getting this message that I'm greater than that. So I started bringing a notebook with me about the second or third day, and I'd walk around and I'd say, greater than that. And I kept writing it. I have like four pages. It just says greater than that, greater than that, greater than that. And then I start filling it in, greater than mental health, greater than cancer, greater than suicide greater mm. than, you know, greater than anything, greater than life, greater than death. I mean, I, so I forge a eulogy for Victoria that is entitled greater than that. Wow. After the three eulogies that proceeded from two close friends and one of her brothers, I gave the greater than that eulogy. And it was about God is greater than all of the things I just mentioned. And we're not going to let the enemy further victimize us. We're not going to let the enemy put shame on us through this event. We're going to not focus on Victoria's death. We're going to talk about the way she lived life. And the fact that the greatest day of her life was meeting Jesus Christ and being embraced by his arms. And while that might have been the worst day of my life, as the song from Mercy Me, I can only imagine yeah. First in his presence. I mean, this is what we chose to focus on and think about. And following that um, event, we had hundreds of people attend this event. Victoria was well loved. And I started getting texts and calls and emails and dozens and dozens of them. And they all, Almost every single one of them said, thank you for testifying to the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Oh, thank praise God. And I was reading these things and I started saying to my brother, look at this. And this one says this. And we started highlighting them. And we were like, you know what? The intervention that I had experienced with God's um, offering to heal my cancer and reveal my commission, which was Acts 20, verse 23, which was to agree to testify to the grace of God through Christ. Had nothing to do, or had something to do maybe, but with my cancer, but it, it was really about preparing me for what I was going to experience a year later and using that experience to help people go through really incredibly tough stuff. Um, like, um, I've just shared with you. I love that. Um, like Romans eight twenty eight comes to mind, like all things work together for his good. Right. And, and right. While I, I certainly don't ever think that God wants those things to happen, man, we serve a redeeming God. And I, I just love that. Right on. Well, you know, thanks for that encouragement. And, you know, I started speaking on this. I went to the same conference the next year. And they asked me to share the story. It was really interesting from one year of talking about being healed of cancer to another suffering the loss of my wife in such a tragic way. The, the, the point was my understanding, my trust in God was not contingent on whether I was getting good news or whether I was struggling mm -hmm. through something really tough. And as a result of that discussion, I was asked to speak some other places and a publisher approached me and said, boy, I really want to tell your story in a book. 
can we publish a book about your story? And um, I was given some advice. I mean, I said, sure, that'd be great. Yeah, right. Right. And um, I talked to a friend about this who's um, uh, kind of mentoring, impactful sort of a guy in my life. And he said, I don't think um, that's what you should be doing right now. And I was kind of like, what? The guy offered me a, a, a book opportunity. What are you talking about? And he goes, right. it's bigger than just your story, man. I, I don't think that's God wouldn't do this just so you would tell your story. And I said, well, how long do you think I should take? And he goes, I don't think you're going to like that answer. I said, <laughs> no, really? Just so you know, I, I hate friends like this. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what, you're asking. He says, I think about four years. Oh, wow. I was like, four years? I just looked at him like, you know, I don't remember the character. He said, well, you must have lost your mind, you know, <laughs> four years. So, you know, I turned down that, that, that book opportunity and I started on this journey of interviewing people who had mm-hmm. been through their own experiences of, of loss and challenge, folks who were terminally ill. Yeah. Folks who had lost people through the midnight call, right? Or through the long, hard road of battling um, uh, the uh, uh, an illness that, that eventually took their loved one. The experience of ongoing struggle and hardship, battling mental health issues with somebody that they loved. And I found that not only, and by the way, I got counseling following, you know, my experience from a guy who specialized in trauma counseling, um, had been a fireman counselor during the 9-11 bombing. And, you know, he and I, um, I mean, we did some good work together. Um, he was really a great blessing for me. So that, what I'm, what we're doing with Survival Life Thrive is part of it, right? But if sure. you've been through this, getting a counselor and and we talk about this in my book how to find one and identify one and the challenges associated with that but along with counseling and processing and so forth i uh started interviewing people because i had read a book um by someone that you have interviewed recently on on your podcast um dr kurt thompson and it was the book was called anatomy of the soul yeah. And he had referred to this guy, um, a professor, psych professor at UCLA named Dan Siegel, who was pioneering this research on the idea that the act of sharing actually stimulates healing that he could measure on a neurobiologically, scientifically supported manner. And I thought, oh, I love that. Wow, that's amazing. So I started reading that. I started reading his work. And it ties in beautifully, uh, obviously, groove group support meetings and so forth are about sharing, right? When you, in fact, the very act of getting counseling is sharing and working through, but the, his part of the reason why I love podcasts so much is there's such a healing idea to this, just people sharing. Oh, that's, that's such a, a, a great point. And, you know, you're engaging as a healer yourself by providing that opportunity. Every time I share my story, I experience healing that is, according to uh, Dr. Siegel, measurable, neurobiologically improvable. Yeah. So, you know, what, what a wonderful gift that you're providing, you know, in, in this process. And imagine those out there who say, well, I don't want to tell my story. And mm-hmm. I interviewed them and I say, well, how about if you think about there's somebody out there who's going through what you've been through and that your story can help them, encourage them hundred percent say, oh, all right, well, then I will do it if it'll help somebody. Wow. I mean, that's the beauty of who we are as yeah. God's children, right? I don't want to talk about myself. Well, what if you can help somebody? I can help somebody, I'm in, right? There's a, there's a quote that I love from uh, Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham. And sure. it starts one of the final chapters in my book. And that that quote is, the sufferer becomes the comforter in the service of the Lord. 
Ooh, that's good. Say that one more time. The sufferer becomes the comforter in the service of the Lord. Now think about that. Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf, right? Think about what he went through. I mean, stuff that is just really hard to imagine. And, you know, you can watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ to get an idea of that. But the, the, the point being suffering in ways that we can only imagine. And who do we as Christians turn to for comfort? The sufferer, who's now the comforter. So when we are engaging in a life that is to honor and reflect what he has modeled for us, the only God (laughs) idea in the history of, of religion. Yeah that actually suffered himself for us and offers us comfort having walked that same journey. Now you, as someone who's gone through suffering, have the opportunity to engage in that same role and comfort others. Isn't that beautiful? It's so beautiful. And it it seems so simple, but yet um, just not something that we very often think about that that sharing is healing and healing is sharing. And there's kind of this weird kind of, uh, you know, dynamic connection between the two. And I, I love the way you bring that out. That's powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you for that encouragement. And, and I'm telling you, I've been so encouraged with the folks that I've talked to. And part of that, that process revealed that grief processing the journey, um, it, the, the traditional steps of grieving don't apply. I couldn't relate to them. And of the hundreds of people that I've interviewed over the last, you know, several years, not a single one said, Oh yeah, those five stages really make sense to me. Right. Right. I'm in step three. Right. You know, right. And and by the way, those, those are built on this groundbreaking work by Swiss psychologist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in uh, 1969, 50 years ago. Hmm. And it was called the five stages of grief. And they are denial, um, sorry, and they are denial, anger, depression, negotiation, bargaining, and acceptance. And there's singular um, emotional stages that you progress to acceptance and healing. And it's just, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I did more research on that after a couple of years. And I found, you know what? It wasn't even intended for those of us who have experienced loss. In fact, it was written, if you go back to her work, it's written specifically for people who have been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had three to six months to live. That was the whole research. No kidding. And we just kind of misinterpreted it all these years. Well, it's been... Yeah, it's it's been been massaged. It's been massaged and spun, and maybe it doesn't go in this order. Maybe there's seven of them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Survive, alive, thrive completely reimagines and reframes and remodels that into the three stages. Survive in close proximity to your loss when you're literally just trying to get through one hour, day, or week. Yeah, those, those are those 3 a.m. walks in the park. Bingo. And then yeah. you pr- you transition to the alive stage where you have to live your life and you got to pay your bills and your kids got to go to school. My son had to go to college. Right. It's only three months later. Right. But your heart is not healed. You're, you're still suffering Mm. brokenness and pain, but you have to be alive. How do you balance that and find healing through that process? And then the third is when you've achieved a sense of re-experiencing joy and happiness in your life. Right. And yet your loss will always be a part of who sure. you are. It's, it's These experiences are woven into the fabric of our journey, right? Yeah. We are, yeah. you know, they'll always be a part of us. Not, I hit the fifth stage and it's over. I feel right. right. It's, done. It's, it's not, it's not the magic, uh, it's not the magic wand, right? It's just not going to go away. No, no, no way. And then further, what Survive Alive Thrive shares is that in each stage, the experience is atomic in nature. Mm. This is a new model idea. And atomic means there are many, many emotions and life tasks and feelings and, and, and um, experiences that are all swirling around 
within that stage. It's not a singular emotion, right? There's many, many things, guilt, grief, happiness that she went to heaven, sadness, she's not here, loneliness, right, yeah. anger, how could this abandon? I mean, there's all these things. Some are positive and some are, are, are painful, but it's not one, it's many. Now imagine each of those emotions as a ping pong ball. And let's just say there's 10 of them. If you put them in a goldfish bowl and shake that goldfish bowl, they're going to be banging into each other constantly, right? This is the compressed stage. Of course, of yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now you move and you get a little more emotional elbow room. Those 10 ping pong balls are now in more of a life stage that's as big as a those storage pods in front of your house. So if you could yeah. pick that up and shake it, they'll still bang into each other, but less frequently than a little goldfish bowl. And even in a live right? Even in the alive stage, you're living life and it's great. But now those 10 emotional dynamics that are part of your loss experience are in a container like a hot air balloon. And if you shake that big old thing, every now and then they might bump into each other. And think about this metaphorically, like on an anniversary yeah, holiday, or when you run into a picture. Oh, Mark, that's so good. You know, it, it's going to happen. It didn't, it doesn't go away. Whereas a linear progression of, of, mm -hmm. of singular emotions, suddenly 10 years later, you cry when you, and by the way, I'm one of these guys who cries, right? Me when, too. Yeah. You, know, you see a, a picture um, or you tell a story or someone remembers an event and it's touching and poignant and you cry, could be tears of joy, could be tears of sadness. Does that mean, oh my gosh, I've regressed. I'm all the way back on stage one. No, no. Yeah. It just means that a couple of those ping pong emotional balls collided and you're still okay. So this book is about helping people navigate the process, understanding where they are and how to take healthy steps to get to the point where they're thriving and giving back. I, I just love it. Um, I love the image of the ping pong balls because Every new relationship adds another ball into the equation, right? And if you're oh, yeah. a hot air balloon, even though you're even though you're in thrive, right, and everything's great, sometimes that ping pong ball with your son, who is wonderful and awesome, like still bangs up against that 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 kind of that old ball that just is is never going to go away. But but ideally, maybe we're just giving it a little bit more space to bounce around. So so, so true, and that's that that's well said. And for each of us our ping pong balls are different, right? Yeah, My life story right. and yeah. background is different than yours and that of our listeners. So there's not one, it, it's not a one emotional reaction fits all. It's complicated. It's atomic, right? It's like that That's swirling yeah. atomic um, uh, symbol that you've seen with neutrons and protons yeah. and all that stuff swirling around. Oh man, I, I am so uh, appreciative of your time today, Mark. Um, and, and I'm praying for what God's going to do through this book and through your ministries. Um, I know that my listeners are going to want to follow up for you. Where is the best place where they can get connected to the book and, and your podcast and your ministries? Where is the best place to start uh, to learn about you on the interwebs? Well, at um, uh, I have founded a nonprofit organization, which is called survivealivethrive.org. And it is a, um, an organization intended to provide community and an opportunity to interact with others about your experiences in life, to give back by sharing your story, or if you're mm. in the midst of your struggle, to find others that you can connect with and relate to. You can do it um, through the Zoom hosted support groups that our, our website provides that you can enter uh, either through a variety of different ways, through what you've been through, what stage you're in, et cetera. A lot of different groups that oh, you can awesome. join, which is cool. But again, that's, and the website is survive-alive-thrive.org. Survive, survive alive, thrive with dashes in between it.org. And you can reach me at mark at survivealivethrive.org. I try to respond to every email that I get. Um, 
if you're interested in sharing your story, encouraging others would love, you know, to hear you and, and hear about your, your story. And um, most importantly, don't forget you're not alone and that, you know, you can find joy again, you know, by centering on God's love and walking through some steps and, 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 you know, I hope in some small way, the Survive Alive Thrive book and nonprofit entity can, can help you on your journey. That's so good. Um, okay. Last question. We always love to ask. It's an, it's an advice question, right? Where you give yourself a piece of advice and I'm going to take you to um, the day that um, you got the call that your life was going to be changed because of cancer, right? And so you get the call from your doctor. Now, um, let's go back in time and say you could talk to the version of yourself, that young version of Mark, before you're about to pick up the phone and the doctor's going to say, hey, I need you and Victoria to come in. What's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Boy, that's a great question. That's a Thank great you. question. You know, I, the advice that I would give myself at that moment would be lean on your faith and trust that everything will work out according to his plan. Mm. Amen. That would, that would be it. Just amen. You, you got to, you, you have to trust and it's, you know, it's hard to imagine that some of the worst days in our lives um, are, are actually super important and beautiful steps on the journey that, that God has, you know, in mind for us. And it's super hard when you're there, uh, particularly when you've lost somebody, but, you know, it, it, I love your, your point about Romans eight twenty eight, right? I mean, he promises that he can use everything you're going through for good. If you live according to his purpose, right. And love him. So good. Uh, Mark, thank you for being so vulnerable and generous with your time today. Uh, what, what an absolute blessing for me. And I know that, uh, I know that a lot of our friends who are listening are, are just really appreciative. So on behalf of me and, and all of our community here at the Reclamation Podcast, uh, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you for what you're doing. So many great nuggets from that conversation uh, with Mark. I know that his book, Survive, Alive, and Thrive, is going to be a huge blessing if you are navigating that journey from loss to life and what that looks like. And I know so many of us are. If that is you, I want you to know that uh, I'm praying for you. And I know how hard those moments can be. So I hope this conversation was a blessing for you. Uh, whether you're navigating loss or not, I think it's relevant information for all of us, which is why I'm so happy to help facilitate this dialogue and that we can all be a part of it together. As always, uh, three ways that you can help us. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode with a friend. That's how we get the word out. One person, one review, one rating at a time. Thankful for all you guys. And uh, as always, I look forward to bringing you fresh new content every week. Thank you guys. And we'll connect real soon.